Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Timothy Plain. And I'm Ark Brissell. Today is Saturday, August 27th, and I'm only saying the date because we're probably going to be talking about a current Indiegogo campaign, and by the time that this episode goes live, it'll be out of date. So whatever we say now, just know it's this is recorded probably like a week before this episode's going to come out. But the campaign will still be going on. Like it's not gonna, it's not gonna be over by the time you listen to this. It'll, it'll still have a, at least a week left, I think. So. And the stats are gonna change. The number of days left are gonna change, and all that. Yeah. So today we're joined by the Thornton brothers. It's Jay and Chris. Say hey, guys. Hey guys, howdy. Uh, thanks for coming <laughs> on. Uh, I just wanted to first, before we jump into like asking you a bunch of questions, just kind of let the audience know who you are generally. So you guys are raising money for your first feature film called Cactus Jack, which is on Indiegogo. You guys are asking for $20,000 to shoot your movie. So everyone go check it out. And if you guys like this interview and you like what they're doing, then, you know, throw them some money and then help them get their movie made. Um, what's interesting to me about you guys is that you guys are trying to make your own movie when it seems like in my head that you have a lot of the resources you need and the connections in the industry to get a movie made. Like you, you guys have been screenwriting for the past 10 years. You have an agent, you have a manager. It seems like you have connections in, in the Hollywood system or the, at least the independent world. So my first question is, why don't you just reach out to your connections and get your movie made, especially for $20,000. It seems like if you guys are even friends with like Zac Efron at all, doesn't he have just like $20,000 lying around under his mattress that he can just throw you guys to get it done? I mean, theoretically, sure. <laughs> but. Um, one, one consideration is that with a lot of these contacts we have, we have one project with each of them in the works that's currently in development. So, um, you know, Zach Efron, as an example, has already invested us in that project and it's, you know, continuing to, to be developed after the script's been written now. Um, so we've kind of, you know, all of these contacts that you mentioned, the reason they're contacts is because they've kind of been, for lack of a better word, tapped already. Um, you know, so we'd actually have to find new contacts of that caliber probably to, you know, to do it again, at least, until, you know, uh, until these current projects have made it further along you know we're not in a position really to to try and go back and ask for something else while we're still working on these other things (laughs) right you're like you're you're, yeah be to the detriment of the project you're working on like you want to take what exactly you have on this one and put it on another one you know so it's kind of whack-a-mole to that degree but we got to find some other moles now we do have fans places big fans of ours that we aren't developing anything Mm -hmm. with but uh i think more importantly this particular story it's probably just nuclear yeah, pretty waste radioactive. As, far as, as far as they would be concerned. Right. You, you just don't think it's going to be like, in, no one's going to be interested in, in putting money into this. Uh, you, you don't think, basically. Man, in our experience, they are way less interested in anything than you would think. Like, <laughs> I mean, you think you're writing this high concept spec script and you're going to sell it or whatever. It's just... The chances of that happening these days are so slim. It's not like the old days, you know, where people are selling specs left and right. Mm-hmm, right. Um, original films just aren't getting made that often within, like, the studio system, the mainstream system that the agencies are, you know, if you got an agent, they're going to take a spec script you wrote out. Producers are going to jump in, hopefully, and you have mar- multiple parties interested. 
usually then they assign territories, it's called, and these producers will take you then into the buyers, which are the studios. There's only a certain kind of movie the studio's, for the most part, looking to make. And what is that movie right now? It's it's IP. It's a movie that's an adaptation of a book, or it's a sequel, or it's you a know, superhero movie. It used to be a toy or, or a video game. Spectacle. Or, yeah, but exactly. don't they? Wouldn't they see like a twenty thousand dollar film and just be like, ah, oh, well, we spend twenty thousand dollars on like one commercial buy. Well, what's the harm? Maybe this could be like the next paranormal activity, and we'll make like good question. You know, twenty million dollars off of it. Well, there's a chance of that, but those paranormal activities, the Blair Witches, they get made for twenty grand, and it's kind of that if you build yeah. it, they will come. Kind <laughs> That's of sort of the we model we're the movie, using here. We take it to a festival, and hopefully, then yeah, you know, a a small shingle of a studio who does the micro budget features might pick us up or something or we'll go to Sundance hopefully and blow some minds and we'll get picked up by a distributor or whatever at that point mm-hmm. but we're finding even with less difficult material than this in this day and age that if you build it they will come is the way to roll right. because yeah you got I mean a screenplay is a blueprint for a movie even to sell screenplays nowadays you're using tons of pre-visual material rip yeah. reels sizzle reels look books you know, it's like on Shark Tank where they want to know you've made it far along enough. You can't just have an idea. You have to have tooled something up or had something already kind of with some, you know, capital sort of. Just, you know, right. Sort of. right. And again, for the most part, they're picking up those kind of more provocative movies once they've proven themselves in some mm-hmm. other capacity. Right. But to develop, it's mostly safer bets than this. More four-quadrant material, you know. Um, they're after wide audiences, global box office um, it seems the the numbers are in that it costs so much to market a movie that they want to make movies like other movies they've made that they know have mm-hmm. successful marketing mm-hmm. templates or schemes. A movie like this, this little hate monger, Travis Bickle type character in a basement spreading hate. Um, it's a nasty little movie by design, and that's just not easy to market. But, well, the thing I'm, I'm curious about, because like, I know there's a lot of these small, independent like horror and genre and kind of gritty um, companies that release movies. I wouldn't say exactly like this, but like in the same vein, you know, like these like low budget kind of like gritty horror movies or gritty, you know, genre movies, you know. Uh, uh-huh. why, uh-huh. why aren't your agents putting you out to those companies and those people? Is it just because there's no money in it for them? And they're like, well, we don't even care about that kind of thing. For the most part. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, I wouldn't speak right, for them exactly, yeah, but, but it seems to be the writing on the wall. Yeah, well, like, the commissions are, you know, like, uh, Jay right. brought up in the a previous conversation, Freakonomics, uh, that, you know, the real estate agent is going to, isn't going to be interested in getting you just a few extra thousand dollars because their commission's just a fraction of that. And, you know, that's not their only motivation, of course, but, you know, that's just the system they're working in. The financiers they, they deal with, the kind of projects they're getting brought and everything, I mean, it's really this bottleneck where now one of the big things agencies do is they'll package a movie or a TV show. Um, there's only so many actors, even at each agency, that are true, meaningful attachments. You're Leonardo DiCaprio's, you know, um, guys come in and out of that stratosphere a bit. Um, and there's varying levels of how much meaning somebody's described as an attachment, but it's such a long process that you got to go through them. You got to go, or you got to find a production company. Maybe it's an actor's production company like Leo's Appian Way or something. Um, otherwise, you're going to have a production company that's then talking to an agency, or somehow they're trying to package it and get a meaningful attachment that has 
overseas box office appeal like Zach's great. And if this movie that we're trying to do with them ever goes anywhere, he's got some foreign pre-sale power. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, let's back so, up a little bit because I, I just realized uh, a little bit into this. This is the first time on the podcast that we've had more than one guest. Yeah. So I think uh, we need to introduce you guys separately a little bit so people understand who's talking when. So why don't you each take... Take like a minute just to give like a quick background of like who you are and where you've been, um, you know, what, what led you to this point in your life? Sure. Um, I guess I'll start since I'm the older um, and that, it, that story wise, I came first, but uh, <laughs> we were born in Washington, D.C. Well, um, say your name first. Oh, I'm Chris, uh, Chris Thornton. And uh, I'm Jay and I'm the one who interrupts all the time. <laughs> there you go. That's an easy way to tell you guys apart. <laughs> nice. Um, so yeah, we were born in the Washington D.C. Uh, General Hospital and uh, lived in uh, kind of the ghettos out on the fringes of the city. Uh, and our natural father um, left when we were very young, and we were raised by a single mother and our grandmother. Um, and during that time, that's where a lot of this, you know, imagination was kind of fostered. We uh, we we spent a lot of our younger years just kind of storytelling naturally and. That eventually evolved into what we can get into later as far as our biography goes. But um, we, our mother uh, married a Air Force man, uh, and we all moved to the Philippines. Uh, I think I was around 12 at the time, and Jay was 8. Does that sound right? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we lived in the Philippines for three and a half years, and then uh, Georgia, and then from uh, there to Virginia, and after that, uh, Jay and I kind of diverged a bit. You know, we went on different career paths, which we can get into if you're interested. But uh, eventually, um, you know, for a while, we were interested in storytelling through comic books. Um, and then that evolved into screenwriting, but just with a focus on the screenwriting. But eventually we realized, uh, you know, the uh, especially in the feature world, that directors are kind of, you know, that's that's where the you know you can get more recognition and you have more control and influence over the you know, the end result. So And the we, movies we like are kinda of, see I'm interrupting. The movies no, we no, like it's okay. I was <laughs> the movies we like are kind of singular movies. We like auteur movies. We like, you know, filmmakers, writer directors. Um, that's the kind of shit we gravitate towards. And mm-hmm. the yeah, one well, thing, like you said, we've been writing for ten years and people are like, Who the fuck are these guys? We got no produced credits or anything. That's what happens. So many writers. I know troves of writers that are successful they're in the guild they, you know their insurance is covered even but they have very few if any credits they can point to so you get stuck on the kind of this hamster wheel and this surreal writer's life where unlike a novelist or a poet even or whatever you can connect directly to an audience by self-publishing or whatever that people ask do you have anything i can see and you're like no you know you have these blueprints for movies. You know, screenplays aren't like a manuscript that's traditionally to be read, which I do right. think that could change. I do think it could be a format like plays where people buy them and read them. You know, what's the difference? But um, they haven't found a way to monetize that quite yet. Maybe. Yeah, there's one of my favorite scenes in a documentary about screenwriting was when one of the screenwriters pulled out a sheet of all the screenplays that he had written. And then he went through and said how many had actually been produced. And I think there is something like uh, 13 screenplays on the list and only like four of them had been produced. Right. And that's if you're lucky, you know. Yeah. And he was a successful screenwriter. Totally. I mean, that guy's... It was like a Frank Darabont type screenwriter. Right. Right. And it's... It's insane that now they're making less and less movies at the studio level. Um, 
Our successes come mainly outside of the studio level. For one thing, we write dark, fucked up shit like you'll see if you watch our teaser on our Indiegogo page for Cactus Jack. So again, it's not that four quadrant targeting stuff. We're having a hard time enticing, you know, the studios in that manner. We've made yeah. fans, you know, our stuff has gotten in. We've had, uh, I think we've had meetings with a couple studios and tons of production companies on lots, you know, with deals. So a stone's throw from that. But did this, you guys make movies when you were kids? Comic we didn't books. have access to the to cameras. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, we were pretty dirt poor at the time. But uh, yeah, we we did mostly comics, and uh, you know, just through playing, uh, we we just had these long, elaborate like Game of Thrones type storylines with our GI Joes and our <laughs> He Mans and stuff like these grisly, dark stories where. You know, if a character died, they stayed dead for, well, I guess, in, game, in respect to Game of Thrones, maybe that's not as accurate to imagine. But yeah, we would have, we still in the Philippines somewhere, we have G.I. Joe figures buried on, in, after, uh, you know, having little funerals for them when they're, uh, they met their end in the storyline. But yeah, uh, so yeah, we were, cash. yeah, and then we, we, we dabbled in prose and, and poetry and, and that kind of stuff early on too. And then just gotten to, we were also very visually oriented, cinematically oriented. Didn't love fucking love films. movies. And then you guys mentioned that your your paths diverged at what point? Like, so were you when you were kids? You were pretty close and working on stuff together. And then what after high school? You guys separated. Yeah, for, yeah, a, for bit? a period, and a lot of it was just careers. You know, taking well, us to different was, places. I joined the military, did four years in there, bounced out. Um, that obviously wasn't for me, personality wise, <laughs> creatively, mm-hmm. any of that. Um, shaving sucks. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> Being places at that exact second you're supposed to be socks. Um, <laughs> yeah. A lot of things yeah, like that. Very so. rigid and controlled. Lots yes. of rules. We had enough of that as kids at, <laughs> in the military <laughs> households. Right. So I bounced out of there and Chris was working on a screenplay. This was like as I was getting out of the military. So I went to Massachusetts where he was at the time working kind of an engineering type job. And we wrote. Is our, this like around ten years ago? More than that, probably now. That, no. Fifteen yeah. years 15-ish. ago. Now? Fifteen. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and that story was like the drawer script, the first fucking script you ever write. You know, it was called Crown oh, of Thorns. It was about this kid who was raised by his mom to believe he is the second coming of Christ, and then shit starts to happen and make him think she might be right. You know. <laughs> so, oh wow! So it's kind of like, uh, like the Omen, but with like. Uh, at the second coming of Christ instead of the right. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. And was that, was that script any good or you just like threw it away? Cause I'm sure there are bits in it. We've always, I think had a creative vision, a poetic voice and a sensibility. So I think we did land on a couple cool things in it, but man, I mean, ask Leonardo Da Vinci what his first drawings and sculptures look like. <laughs> right, shit, right. You know? The first one's never really the best, right? No. no. You, you kind of have to believe it's going to be the best, and then you got to write it, and then you have to admit to yourself that it's not, and then move much. on and yeah. not cry too or, much about yeah. it. Yeah. I've known you know, people, though, that have been working on the same stupid project oh, yeah. for like 10 years, and they're just convinced that there's some there's gold in it. And you're just like, if you've been working on it that long, it's, there's probably nothing in it's it. It's like, and hey, dude, just, out of all the Greek mythological characters, you choose Sisyphus to be? What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Pick someone better than that. 
what was the first screenplay that you guys wrote that you're like, okay, this is good. This is All good right. enough to like send out. Yeah. Well, this ties into or the military thing. So then I came back, Chris was working in Boston. We were writing that script and we wrote two other scripts. One was a, see, this will be something we talk about later about genre, how we just jump around all genres, <laughs> um, which I don't know. There's pros and cons of that, but it was this comedy called earth attacks where it was from the point of view of Martians. It was a, basically a Martian invasion, <laughs> alien invasion movie, but humans were the aggressors. You know, Independence Day with humans attacking aliens, but a comedy. Um, and then we wrote a Western kind of horror, gothic Western horror. And then we kind of quit. And Chris took a job in Milwaukee, and I followed him out mm. for a bit. And he went back to Boston for another job, kind of leapfrogging. And from there, I was like, fuck, I got to do something. There's no jobs in Milwaukee. There still aren't, by the way. And I took a job in the South Atlantic Ocean on this volcano called Ascension Island that's owned by the Brits, and there's NASA shit there, and I was tracking satellites and stuff. It's kind of the job I did in the Air Force. Oh, and we tracked the space trash that fucked up Sandra Bullock and gravity. Like, all <laughs> the, yeah, the nuts and bolts, so yeah, that's where they track that stuff from, in that footprint at least. And when I was down there, I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? And we started writing another script, kind of um, remotely, you know, just emailing each other pages. And it was this script called Heart, about this deranged Vietnam vet who's getting an early release from prison because he's got a bad heart. So he tracks down this guy whose life he saved in Nam 40 years earlier. And he's like, I want your heart, dude. You owe me. So this really fucked up moral morality play i guess um <laughs> i love that all your ideas like take something that's yeah we subvert like, common common trope and then you like twist it on its head so like we love this is, subversion like, this is like the revenge story but rather than like taking revenge on somebody that's done you wrong you're like going to to take something that like that somebody owes you for doing something right yes right wow right it's interesting it's really cool so right. that, is that the script that got you your agent and manager and stuff like that Sort of, yeah. What happened was we were, I was working that job, and then I was like, you know, we got to get back together because we could tell we were onto something with the script, and we're, it's weird that stepping away caused this evolution in our writing. When we came back to it, it's like we had learned so much more by not writing. I don't know how to explain it by living. Was by, that life? Yeah, life experience. That, yeah, and yeah, I think just I think during that period we watched film more critically. Yeah, I think and we, read. Yeah, more. read a lot more. and I'm always amazed at like that there's these filmmakers that can tell amazing stories when they're like 20 years old. I know. You know, like, yeah. you know, like what do you have to say at 20 years old? I feel like you have to get enough life experience. I think it's like Werner Herzog, like in his classes, he tells people like the only prerequisite into making films is like experience life. Like just go travel, like right. go, go experience things. That's Sadly. how you're going to come up with stories. I think there's no rule for anything, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of kids do experience a, a ton of life before 20. You know, there's, there's some yeah. traumatic childhoods out there. Well, take like a Paul Thomas grow. Anderson. He grew up in a household that was very adult. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's mm -hmm. kind of like an evolutionary Kickstarter for his brain. That's interesting. You know? right. I yeah. think kids who are coddled, and that's something that worries me about like these big four-quadrant films and the way the corporatized studio system goes is there's kind of this infantilization where everything's made to... I guess what an expectation of a kid would be like kids. We were kids and we watched the exorcist and the killing fields and movies <laughs> like this, you know, like very right. adult fair. Cause we were kind of unsupervised, 
But uh, I think like, I remember seeing Alien when I was really, really young and just being so freaked out. But it's also a very <laughs> formative experience. Exactly. Like, you kind of yeah. have to be exposed to that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So when it's you a- coddle these kids, then yeah, you're going to get 20 year olds who got nothing to say. But if you've given them access to real shit, you know, that I figured something out by then. And, and just let them experience things. It's funny. It just reminds me of a story about someone's kid that loved Star Wars, loved it so much. He was like seven or eight, had never seen Star Wars, saw it. And then couldn't handle the first opening scene when Darth Vader comes and kills all those people. It just, it just freaked him out. He like couldn't watch the movie and had to wait until he was a couple years older. Like the Lego version of Darth Vader. Right, exactly. I'm Not the death-choking version of Darth Vader, you know? Right, right. and the, the guy yeah. gets choked and then pops back up and is like, I'm okay. Dude, yeah, I got a two-year-old. Right. I got a two-year-old kid and he was just watching Lego Star Wars today. And they made Vader the buffoon in it. You know, oh, he's no. like always oh, doing pratfalls <laughs> and he's like Jack yeah. Tripper or some shit, you know? Oh man. It's ridiculous. So yeah. he's yeah. going to have this weird expectation and then he's going to see the real shit. But I think my kid seems like he might have a little bit of that. Um, I don't know what to call it. That Thornton stank on him where he just <laughs> Thornton stank. Yeah. Where he just intrinsically genetically Attracted knows the what the goods life. are. Yeah, exactly. Like he's That's funny. he's always like, I'm the Green Goblin, you're Spider Man shit. So I think we'll be all right. So did was Hart the the film oh, right. or the yeah. screenplay that got you guys an agent and manager? Sorta, of, yeah. Um Hart finished top thirty in the nickel fellowship okay. running so it was like our first real script we look at it as after an eight year hiatus or whatever it was from writing this is probably 09 i think and from there we got some managers just requesting our script you know which is nice because we had done the query blast in the past and heard nothing yeah um we didn't and know this how, is like this is 10 years ago now. right and we didn't know how to write okay. log lines or any of that shit but with this script you know that contest gave us a little heat and uh, our current manager actually we first met off that but he didn't sign us till oh, wow. we gave him our follow-up script which was almost done already anyway called mechanicsville and that's well, let's sp- stop there for i have a question about that because i feel like a lot of people write screenplays in hopes that they're going to win the lottery and that they're going to write that screenplay Let's say win the nickels, get the agent or manager, sell it for a million dollars, and then be like, dude, I'm set. But I think what's interesting about what you just said is that the manager is not going to be interested in you until you show that you're going to be able to produce more than one script. Plus, you know, you guys didn't, you guys never sold heart, right? No. And part of it was they see voice, they see talent, you know, um, maybe not even someone they think is going to sell. And again, he kind of just had an open door and we met a few managers and uh, came close to signing with a couple, but we really dug this dude. We have pretty good gut checks when it comes to people. So why did he need another writing sample before he's willing to sign you? Well, I think it was just product and that product at the time, no one's making deranged tough guy, old man, killer morality play (laughs) movies. And we got the note from several people rewrite this to an Iraqi war vet. And we're like, it just doesn't work, man. It's the old uh, debt called in. That's the fucking juice of it, you know? This thing funny. you completely forgot about, and then it comes back like the monkey's paw. So we resisted that and everything, and we're like, all right, let us finish working on this new shit we're working on, which was this kind of Kentucky Fried Heist movie where two gangs of bank robbers try and rob the same bank on the same day called mm-hmm. Mechanicsville. And manager signed us off that and took us into agencies we had meetings. Did you tell the manager the idea of the next script that you were writing? Yeah, we were almost done with it already. When we told oh, him, okay. he was like, send that to us. Um, to and me. did he think that that had a better chance of selling? 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But we... It's still just such a hard, hard, fucked up road for any script, especially one that isn't part two, part three of something or whatever, (laughs) you know. You don't have a whole trilogy or a quintology uh, laid out, then they're not as interested. Right, and one that's already has a built-in audience of millions, you know. Right, Right. if you would have called Heart, like, Rambo 4. Right. uh, Is that what they're on? Then maybe it would have had a better chance. It's like that Ticking Man script that became Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh, you should have called it Deer Hunter 2. There you go. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, Deer Hunter 2. Hey, I guess our reps dropped the ball there, but that should have been their advice. Um, So anyway, though, but this script got us all these meetings, right? And like you said, you think you made it. We were that naive too, and I think you have to be, because if you know if you know what's coming, you just won't do this shit. Probably, I'm afraid at the end of this podcast, people are gonna like (laughs) screenwriting. Wait, so where where are you when this is happening? Are you still in Rhode Island when you're like meeting with these people? Are you like flying out to LA? Like, what's going on? Chris actually got a job after like that year was up in Cali in Irvine, so pretty close in Orange County. And we're like, sweet, that gives us a base of operations. I had a long-distance girlfriend, meantime, while I was on that island and everything back in Milwaukee. I ended up marrying her and going to Milwaukee and then going to film school for like a year until I said, fuck it, this is a pointless. And we're getting all these meetings out in Cali and shit, so I kind of just halfway through the semester had to flake out, go take all these meetings, and basically flunked out that semester. And at that point talking to people in the industry i just didn't see the real utility in film school kind of like verna herzog says right yeah. don't waste your money on that shit learn to pick locks and um <laughs> forge, <laughs> forge um documents that say you have a permit to shoot or whatever you know That's so funny. well it is funny that you can get a forty thousand dollar loan to go to school to get a film degree that makes you hardly any more employable than like a english lit degree or something right now it's Unless all about the, the material right it's all about what, but what did it create. feel like when you what like what point did you guys feel like you made it or was there like several points like the time that the eight the after you got in the top 30 and nickels were you like oh my god we made it or yeah, after a manager started saying it <laughs> that feeling of having made it uh, no it hasn't no, no, happened no, better yet. question is when did that feeling die in us because we did <laughs> yeah, <'cause laughs> I, it's got to have lasted at least for a little bit when you're like headed yeah. into a meeting with somebody yeah, and you're like oh my god some, yeah this totally. is gonna so be about eight moments maybe not quite nine <laughs> Right. And some are fanboy shit. Some are fanboy shit when we're sitting there waiting for a meeting at Scott Free and Ridley Scott's right. like two feet away from you. You're just like, fuck yeah. yeah you know? That's got to be a pretty crazy feeling. You know, yeah, I've never been in that awesome. kind of situation. It's, it's great, man. But uh, then after the fact, you're like, all right, all that, that's a mirage. Like, what it did it deliver on? And again, we still got great contacts and fans at these companies and stuff, but finding that right fit. The right time. I mean, a movie getting made, it really is like a pearl. Yeah. I, the, the longer that I make movies, the more I realize that that whole making it idea is a fantasy and an illusion. And like that you'll never feel that you made it. Like no matter what, no matter where you are and what you're doing, you're always going to feel like there, there's more. There's yeah. more that another you want. Challenge, another, another challenge. Another challenge. Somewhere else you should be should be or something else you should be doing. Like you're saying, maybe there, that's not such a bad thing, though. You know, yeah, no, I don't. Ahead I think and, that's you know, so yeah. that's what makes you an artist. I think if you ever feel like you've reached the pinnacle of success, and you would just stop, right. but we will never feel that. Right, and you get to a point though where you get, I don't know if jaded is the word, but you just become less naive and more objective. Not only with your own work and your ability to criticize your own shit, self-edit, yeah. 
I mean, that's huge because... Well, if... you guys sound a little jaded. Yeah, you do. Uh, no, no, no offense. That's, that's no, surprise dude, me. Dude. Not at uh, all. But, but I will say one thing, though, that hasn't quite happened for us yet. There's got to be a great moment when you can support yourself doing this. You know, that yeah, to right. me would be Comfortably. a moment. And right. you might still never feel like you've made it because you still have to keep doing it and you still creatively might feel unfulfilled, etc. But if we can just, you know... If it's enough to pay the bills just by doing something you love that, you know, we haven't quite gotten there yet. And, you know, it's still been a struggle and, you know, thus the, the crowdfunding campaign and, you know, each each new win is, is it's sort of freelancing. You even know? though every filmmaker will always tell you never shoot on your own money. So even if you got <laughs> money. Well, here, here's, so, a, here's a question for yeah. you. So after all these meetings, all this, like you have a manager, you have an agent. Have you gotten paid like any money to do any filmmaking, writing or anything at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 we've had a few writing gigs. Okay, uh, well, that's write, cool. writers. We're members of the Writers Guild, so we've gotten enough accredit, accredit, accreditation <laughs> for that. Um, okay, well, that's that's see, that's pretty damn good. I think that's better than like most people. I think yeah. most people can't say that they've got. We're doing great. We're just in paid. a weird place. Here's the thing: if yeah. you take our life when it's all said and done, I firmly believe if you were to cut a montage out of it, we win. But when you're living in the real time, it's so arduous and so slow. And the way Hollywood works is, oh, no one's doing shit for January because it's Sundance. And then this other film, or right. now it's Can, now it's TIFF, now it's, you know, whatever. So those things are these hiccups. And then August, it's almost European, how most of the town takes off August, it seems like. So it really just, there's these pockets and these windows of opportunity where if your stuff isn't lining up right, if it doesn't have that attachment, if it doesn't... Um, meet the mandate of the buyers in that quarter or whatever, you know, this astronomical amount of timing. I won't call it luck because that seems to like diminish people. <laughs> like, he only made it because he's lucky. And I'm not that Well, that I think the luck jaded, thing but. is being in the right place at the right time and meeting right. the right people. It's like you could, you could live your entire life and not meet that right person. It's, it's the same thing as in romance and in love. Right. Like to meet the right person at the right time in their life that you guys can like make something happen. It's, it's, it's not impossible because it happens to a lot of people, but it doesn't mean that you're guaranteed it's going to happen. Absolutely. Right. And, and all the meetings in Hollywood, we've had dozens and dozens now at different places and it is like dating. So to use the love analogy, <laughs> right. it's, yeah. you know, yeah, it's like, you know, okay, well, you know, it was a nice time, nice meeting or whatever, but, you know, you're looking for people whose interests are lining up in terms of their company strategy and their, their tastes and all that stuff. Totally. Yeah. And what you were saying before about um, that in the end, you're going to win, right? And I feel like that most of the interviews you hear with filmmakers are people that are, are that that did win and then they go back in their life and they piece together a nice little narrative about how they got to that winning point and it's it's inspirational it's fun to listen to but part of the reason we started this podcast was to tell stories of people that were still in the middle of of that journey and yeah. they hadn't gotten to the end point yet and like what's that like because everyone listening to it is in the middle of their journey. They're they're, right. they're It's not a clean narrative yet. And we're no. still trying to figure out how the fuck do we make this work? Right. All I can say though, is like, dude, you guys are making it. You guys are, you guys are doing what you want to do. Like whether or not you get paid or not, you're still doing it. And the fact that you're taking this next step and going on Indiegogo and raising money for your movie, like just take a second, even if it's just for a second on this podcast, just to feel that like proud that you guys are there and that you guys are, are making movies, you're writing screenplays, and that's really what's important. 
and hopefully the money will follow. But even if it doesn't, you can still say at the end of the day, like, yeah, I did what I wanted to do. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And we're stubborn motherfuckers, too. And it gets to a point where you're just like, <laughs> to save face, I got to make this happen now. Because all your <laughs> friends and family are like, right. you just wasted 20 years on this shit. And if you don't believe you're going to make it, what are you doing? Right. That's right. just masochistic, you know? I, I want to go back to something that you, we just you touched on. So you're w- WGA writers, both of you guys. Um, and like, do you have day jobs too, or are you able to like support yourselves on your, your writing? Um, this Chris speaking. I, I have a day job right now. Um, I actually moved back out to Southern California to return to it. Um, but the previous couple of years, I was out there with Jay in Milwaukee. Uh, just then we were doing nothing but cranking material and, and Cactus Jack was born in that time. Uh, we yeah. also wrote a pilot for a TV show that was just picked up by the Weinstein company and is now being shopped around to actors. Uh, James McTeague, the director of, of V for Vendetta and oh, cool. a couple of the Marco Polo episodes, uh, yeah, uh just attached. attached and yeah. And so, uh, so, so that it's happened. exciting. So we, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, well, just uh, just saying that that so for that period, again, it was sort of like Rhode Island, you know, neither of us were working a job. So this was our job. Um, so that was, you that know, was extremely helpful. Yeah, that yeah. was from the Zac Efron movie we wrote. We had yes, enough money. Yeah, so we took the money from that and, and for a couple of years just focused on the stuff. And oh, yeah, nice. so now all those things we worked on are in play in different ways. Yeah, nice. And That's cool. Chris came out here because, well, another thing about living in L.A. or not, Chris came out here because, A, it stretches the dollar so much further. And we right. did have a bit of that. We made it. We made it. The shit's going to happen. They're going to shoot my ass <laughs> later or whatever. Right. It's all naive, especially when, in the meantime, I got diagnosed with cancer and had a kid. So oh, that's another part of this whole odyssey. Double whammy. Well, yeah, life yeah, throws... punch. Life throws curveballs at everybody, you know? So, again... Mm-hmm. This is all the real story when you have those montages of making it. No, most of it's Rocky <laughs> punching the side of beef or whatever. You know, it's not beating Apollo at the end of the second movie, you know? So. Wait, I'm curious. So, like, when you were in Milwaukee, that's when you guys got into the WGA when you were not in LA? Is that how it went? Or is it a little more complicated than that? Well, Chris was out there. I was in Milwaukee. Chris was out there in Orange County, but still working a day job. But yeah, like I would fly out. He had an apartment, so I'd fly out for two, three months at a time. Okay. I didn't have steady employment between them. My wife's a teacher, not a ton of money. It's been lean, you know. Um, She's been super supportive in this whole thing and trying to make it. I guess what we're trying to find out is like, do you guys feel that it? there's more opportunities if you live in LA or do you guys feel like you can live anywhere and still have the same amount of opportunities as a, as a writer? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's more opportunity there for sure. Yeah. Um, any of our, you know, gigs that we've gotten, um, well, we had one that, well, okay. We had two that were in, uh, because we had meetings in LA were the reason we got them basically. Um, okay. So you at least have to go there once in a while to have meetings. So, you know, which is kind of how we did it until I landed the job. Well, that helped give us the home base, but you don't necessarily need it. But, you know, you could send the script out and, you know, we went through the process of getting the manager first, which took a bunch of meetings. At the same time, we were meeting with producers and everything on the same script. But, you know, we secured a manager and we went through a couple agents over the years. But that was the next step. We were at WME at first and now we're at UTA. Um, And... And so it took a lot of meetings of face-to-face time for that side of it. Well, we did have, one, we did have one project, though, I just want to say real quick, is uh, we had one 
that was in Europe, uh, in, in Italy with the Minetti brothers. And that was totally outside the system. That was thanks to our manager at a film institute or something along those lines. He made a connection with a producer. So that was outside the system. That didn't require L.A. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was just... But to get the manager, he had to have a meeting in L.A. So, you know, I guess it still right. did require at least one Well, right. well I was trying to jump in saying when you talked about those moments, if we made it, we made it. Our first meeting we ever went on after we got signed with Mechanicsville... Yeah. was a meeting with this company, Paradox, who owns all of the old Robert E. Howard shit. You know, Robert E. Howard's the guy who created Conan the Barbarian or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had a Western property that they were sitting on that we were like, dude, we love Robert E. Howard. We'll write this shit. So we talked to them about <laughs> that in our very first meeting. And out of that came our first assignment ever to do oh, nice. a rewrite on this adaptation of an old Robert E. Howard Western. Yeah. It's, How did you guys feel? Yeah, that was a pretty awesome feeling. Uh, yeah, that was our first real gig. Yeah, and uh, it wasn't a just one gig. side note on that too, just in terms of advice for people, is we did a lot of research before going in the meeting uh, to see what projects they had in development. Our manager helped with that too because he oh, has cool. access to some of those things. Yeah, but, how do you? That's what I was going to ask: is how do you how do you research that stuff? Because I've kind of tried to do that on my own, and I found it really hard. Do you yeah. need an agent or manager to help you kind of? IMDb Pro. If you get an IMDb yeah, Pro, that that'll show but you. But I feel like that's never accurate. One time I had a, a I had a meeting with um, the producer of Tomb Raider. And I tried to research what he was working on on IMDb, yeah. and the stuff that I brought up when I talked to him, he was like, "Oh yeah, that's that's old. We've done I, that plenty of times. On that like, oh, yeah, that's dead. Yeah. Was... You can't count on it, but it's useful. You know, once in a while, you. Um, but studio something. system, studio systems like the two thousand dollar version of that. That luckily our managers yeah. and reps have access to that stuff. So, and they actually know even directly from the producers who send, uh, you know job sheets to the agency saying these are our open writing assignments this is the stuff we have in development so once you get wrapped that is a huge leg up for sure you do that's get... a, a website the studio system yeah i think it's uh yeah just look up studio system mm. and it's something you can subscribe to they might oh yeah actually... yeah i'm looking at it right now i did sign up for this for like a free trial to find out like some movies in a, a in like the four million dollar range because they're putting a business plan together right. And yeah, I guess you can go through here and you can find out like what production companies are working on what. I think they've dropped their prices too in the last few years just to be competitive. But uh... so anyway, though, we have had, like Chris said, these moments um, where that was a non-guild guild deal. Um, the Italian thing was awesome because they flew us to Rome and put us up in this awesome wow. apartment and paid for every meal and you know we got good money out of it and all this shit so it was a good gig but it's amazing experience amazing and the Minetti brothers are these Italian genre directors that uh no one here really knows who they are but they've made Mm -hmm. some cool movies and when we were in Rome people were recognizing them on the street as we were walking around with them which is cool so it's like we're with these two weirdo (laughs) VIP kind of they're into like John Carpenter movies and punk shit you know super cool Italian dudes Uh, sounds Um, awesome yeah, man, that was an experience of a lifetime for sure. And going to Rome, like we had traveled from the military and all that, but to be, we're writing a movie in Rome and shit. You know, it was super <laughs> romantic. And those are the kind of moments that have definitely kept us going over the years through right. chemo. I guess those moments are, are always going to be fleeting in any career, right? Yes. They're not going to happen every day. Yeah, yeah and again, <laughs> and another thing about why some projects don't come to fruition is this is a business where 
it's so renegade that you got to have all these pokers in the fire at once, you right. know? So something will pop off. We're working with the Minettis on this. Oh, but this other thing just got financing. They're going to be busy for the next year making it or whatever. So stuff kind of just dies off. It's kind of like fireflies where you see them flare up for a minute and then they're gone. They're still out there, but you can't see them, you know? Yeah, I've had that experience. Yeah, so that's a lot of it. And again, not to be bitter, it's just... Um, pragmatic that's what it is you know well i think you mentioned early on it's a hamster wheel and and after running on the hamster wheel and it doesn't feel like you're you kind of look around you're like i haven't gone anywhere i'm still in the fucking same place that i was before it gets frustrating right and so it's it's understandable that you'll become bitter but uh, that's why i was challenging you guys to at least take a step (laughs) back for a second and just like look like you guys (laughs) have done a a lot a lot more than a lot of filmmakers out there so like don't beat yourselves up too much about it yeah and we're definitely proud of the what we've you know the material that we've cranked out um you know it's like the actual work has been gratifying in terms Mm -hmm. of just being proud of our you know actual and working with some of the people has been cool too collaboration has its pros and cons but we've made some cool relationships with people and it's interesting that's one thing we'll talk about too is cactus jack the reason we're going to back up and make something this small is that we don't have to collaborate. It's so liberating and freeing. Not, <laughs> right. not from a $20,000. You guys can do whatever you want. Exactly. So, and we also are writing prose. We have a series of these books called Reapers. It's these hardcore lone survivor meets game of Thrones type dark fantasy shit kind of wow. following a black ops team through this fucked up fantasy world. And we're doing that in prose. First, it, feels natural secondly you can do that in your underwear in a basement in wisconsin or whatever you don't need to you know go to la pay twice for everything or twice as much for everything you know right, um, you right, don't right. need to take notes really until you have a complete manuscript you don't need to pre-approval on an outline before you start writing the book you know so well, let's talk about cactus jack for a little bit like yeah. how long have you guys been working on this idea and did you always think it was going to be something you would produce yourselves based on what it was yeah, that was part of the inspiration for it was to look around us and, and uh, you know, just use what we had access to uh, in terms of at least, you know, an actor that was local in the area. And, you know, uh, uh, the set is just, you know, in a basement. It's a, you know, one man, one room, try and tell a story that because it's a podcast and he'll be, you know, interacting with people out in the outside world. It'll yeah, what is the story? So for the people that sure. haven't gone to your Indiegogo page. Okay, yeah, it's about this uh, this guy who's uh, who's who's disenfranchised and very vitriolic and hate filled, um, and lives in his mother's basement, and he has no outlet, so he calls into radio talk shows all the time and, and just spews venom, and uh, one of them gets sick of him at some point, just why don't you get your own fucking show, and he's like, huh, you know, now with the podcast like you guys are doing, he uh, mm-hmm. gets a hold of a microphone and the equipment he needs and starts his own show and over time he starts to build an audience of people who love him and people who hate him and uh eventually you know there's some comeuppance uh he starts to egg the wrong people on you know fan the wrong feathers uh and you know above all though it's a character study it's just this analysis of the kind of people that we're all facing today the you know especially in the political climate today uh and the uh access that people have the trolls online mm-hmm. everybody has a voice now the kind of power that comes with that it's kind of a 
political horror movie. Like um, when we do comps, <laughs> like we that. would call it Taxi Driver meets Talk Radio, where Taxi mm. Driver is kind of a a mummy, a Frankenstein, a Dracula story, you know, um, of this dark figure who's going around and they give him a nobility. He wants to clean up the streets, but he's a fucking psycho, you know. This guy, um, a darker turn even than Travis Bickle. This is this age of nihilism and this the way anonymity can allow the worst to come out in people, you know, and hate to foment. And basically this guy creates enough enemies where someone comes to silence him. So it's one man in a room, but it's it builds to a thriller where, all right, people are starting to figure out who he is, other hacker types, you know, because he starts on the dark net and he's mm. like mining Bitcoin and shit. He's basically just withdrawn from the world and he rants about fiat currency and he wants Trump to win, not because he believes in the political process. He thinks it's all a sham, but he thinks a Trump win is going to lead to this huge race war. And that's what he wants to happen, you know? Wow. So he's basically, is there a positive takeaway in the end or is this all just a cynical... I wouldn't Study. call it cynical, but I would definitely call it a cautionary tale. And cautionary right, tale. Yeah. It's like Jurassic Park exactly. in a basement. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like Jurassic Park <laughs> in a basement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow, that'll that'll be was, the tagline. Yes, yeah, uh, that's funny. But, so how long has it, have you been working on this thing, guys? How long has it taken you to you know put this project together? It's been piecemeal because of other things. Like we said, we had to fly out last year and take all these meetings. Ended up setting up our TV show, and we've had other work to do. Um and we've wondered about how to do it. We shot this teaser in another guy's basement. He was cool enough to let us shoot there, but we realized shooting the feature there isn't going to work. We need to scale it back to what our original intention, like Chris said, was to make something just with the shit we have laying around. It has obviously grown outside of that once we're like, all right, that was a great jumping off point to make us think of a tiny contained story, but we still need production right. value. We still need authenticity. We want this basement to have, it's, you know, his dad was a TV repairman, his deceased dad and a ham radio guy, which feeds into the whole radio thing. You know? So there's just all this old equipment. So we've been accruing this stuff off of Craigslist free stuff. That's a fucking mm. dynamite thing for all you filmmakers out there. <laughs> yeah, yes. that's a good idea. Dude, I'll check yeah. that shit like three times a day and just, oh my God, email somebody. They got this old piece of trash no one else would necessarily want, but sometimes oh, amazing, good. amazing stuff. And these two ladies we found, um, their dad just got put in an old folks home and they flew mm -hmm. up from Florida. So they got like two days to get rid of all this old shit. So they're trying to sell it off on eBay and whatever. And we went to get one chair. We were going to pay like 20 bucks for it because it looked great, but we cleaned them out. Wow, like, we need old shit. You need to get rid of old shit. So, I mean, we've for over a year just been accruing all these little things. But there's props that we need, like replica, you know, guns, um, military yeah, things that you're not going to find on exactly. Craigslist. Yeah, and expensive stuff too. Like to get authentic again stuff, we're going to have to spend oh, a couple hundred bucks for this old ham radio receiver or two fifty for this old Nazi gun or whatever you know. So, and to back up again a bit, thematically, this story is about generational hate, nature versus nurture. So you asked if there's a good takeaway. Yeah, positive takeaway. Right. There is in that <laughs> Jack was created in at a very early age. You know what I mean? Trauma. This is one thing we learned on our thing we we're doing with Zach Efron. It's kind of the serial killer brain scan kind of movie. Dark thriller. But we learned a lot about psychopathy and there's studies that this guy, James uh, 
What the fuck is his last name, dude? Fallon. Jim oh, yeah. Fallon. <laughs> That's what I always remember. Jimmy Fallon. His name is James Fallon. He's this neuroscientist. <laughs> at, I think it was UC Irvine or UC Davis or something. But uh, this guy does PET scans, PET scans of brains, and he's isolated these certain areas of the brain that correlate with psychopathy to the point where you can give him 80 brain scans and he could pick out the serial killer or the murderer's brain scan out of those just by eyeballing it. Wow. So, and that stuff, they start to break it down, find out more. There's a violence gene that comes into play. There's three factors, a violence gene, but one is early onset childhood trauma at a very, in a certain bandwidth between, I think it was like three to five years old or something like that. So pretty much any psychopath you meet had a shitty childhood. They were made, you know, people aren't just mm. born assholes. That's the thing with Jack. His mother is a character in the movie, sight unseen, but he, we hear her, he argues with her up the top of the stairs, kind of this, you know, uh, little Hitchcockian kind of bit with this mm. mother character where, are we ever going to see her? Are we not? And she may or may not meet her demise as he goes further down the spiral, right? So mm. <laughs> there's definitely some horror thriller elements in here, but you start to understand that this guy was once a child, you know? And he was turned into this monster. And it's a cyclical thing. Though. He's now spreading the kind of hate that feeds into this whole Ouroboros of violence and generational misogyny and xenophobia and everything that we can't quite wrestle away from. And this election cycle has been the perfect portrait of the nastiness of humanity, if you ask us, you know. So right, it's a, right, right. It's a great, crazy. It's a great backdrop and just vehicle for this story because part of what we're doing is structuring the story along with the election cycle to the point where our actor is going to be here in the basement election night. We're going to be filming like live his reactions or whatever. And the outcome of the movie is somewhat dependent on the outcome of the election. So it's super timely. It's super grassroots Uh, crowdfunding felt like the thing to do, you know, so you wrote two endings, like choose your own adventure style. Yeah. um, There's a lot of interactivity to it because again like this without collaborators without overseers we're like fuck the rules let's make a gonzo movie in a gonzo way you know we know we could tell a story we know we could structure a story innately um so let's kind of get our pollock on to a degree with it you know let's talk about your indiegogo page for a second because right now you have 17 days left in your campaign you've raised 2700 dollars and you're looking for $20,000. Like, how do you guys feel like it's going? And why don't you think that there's more money on there right now? Well, it's not as dire as it looks because I had... See, part of what we're doing is we don't have a huge Rolodex. We're kind of just basement-dwelling creatives, you know? We're not out there schmoozing <laughs> and yeah. throwing parties. And so we've kind of run into this wall where we figured we're not going to get a huge amount. But we do have some, quote-unquote, whales... Some people we know who might be able to throw down large amounts of money. What's the maximum amount somebody can donate on Indiegogo? Because on Kickstarter, I think it's $10,000. I don't know. But we did just have a buddy of mine who's a pretty successful businessman send us a check in the mail for five grand. So you can nice. call that nice. 2700 is actually 7700 And we got another guy who's giving us a grand for an associate producer credit. But he's like... Why should I give it to you in Indiegogo and they take a cut? Here's a check or whatever. Oh, but on yeah. Indiegogo, if you don't raise, like if you don't get your $20,000 goal, you still get the money, but they take a bigger percentage. Is that how it works? That used to be the case. But what I read when I was setting it up is I think they flattened that to 5% for every project, even yeah, if it's okay. flex funding or not. Now, I do think psychologically, if you go with a hard 
amount not flex funding that maybe some people are like, all right, they really need my money. I'm going to throw in and you might get more chip ins. People. That's what I feel like. I I did Kickstarter. All Ricky did Kickstarter too, right? Yeah, I did Kickstarter. Yeah, and I felt like it helps to be able to tell people like my movie won't get made unless right. I reach my goal. Um, I felt like whenever just as like a user on Indiegogo versus Kickstarter, if I see like the flexible goal, I'm less compelled to give because I'm like, oh, well, they're going to get get the money either way. So it's more about whether or not I like the project. Right. right. Yeah. And we've acknowledged that. And maybe our project isn't um, likable. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, our protagonist certainly isn't it. Uh, I don't know if you'd even call him a protagonist. Our central character certainly isn't. Right. But uh we're kind of eschewing some of those kind of narrative conventions as far as antagonist, protagonist, you know, and we could talk about that nuts and bolts kind of shit all day. The definitions. Yeah. But, uh, well, it's interesting that you have the, the money that you got sent directly. And like, part of me thinks like in that situation, maybe it's better to just put it in somehow into the Indiegogo because then I'm thinking the perception, yeah, the perception of the, pro- of the project, it's like, oh yeah, this looks way bigger and better and like well, more people are caring about it. it's got actually got a chance so i should give some money because maybe they can actually make it or something you know right um the one guy who's gonna supposedly give us a grand i don't know exactly what his reasoning was other than five percent won't get cut out of it um we could use that bump there the five grand i think when the check arrives it's in the mail right now i think i might throw it in there and take the hit because his main reason wasn't to save us money it was because as he said, as Michael Jordan said all those years ago, Republicans buy my product too. So he just, <laughs> he loves the project. He's like this, this is positive lefty, uh, yeah, rich guy, and he really loves a rapper. Uh, right. right. He doesn't yeah. want to be associated with it publicly, basically. Right. They, he would be in the executive producer category, and then he would get the screen credit in the main titles. Exactly. It'd be like, produced by Donald Trump. Exactly. <laughs> right, so, right. Well, far from <laughs> Donald Trump, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, is there any, do you guys, do you guys want to ask us any questions about crowdfunding? Because we've both done crowdfunding stuff. If you guys are struggling at all with it and you want any advice, like we're we're here for you. We'll definitely take advice, but we are two weeks out pretty much. Like you said, 17 days. I don't know if we're going to get a huge bump in these little um, chip-ins, which we do love. And we are pre-selling the movie for 25 bucks. So um, it's not like we're just asking for money. It's like, you can obviously get the product if you pitch in at $25, which mm-hmm. helps make it and get to your copy of it. Um, yeah. Right. Well, I'll, I'll tell you my biggest advice in doing crowdfunding was to reach out to everyone, you know, personally, like try not to do like mass emailings yeah. or, you know, you know, crowd things. Cause like any time that I talk to somebody individually, either like on a phone call or in person or in an email, that it was just so much more likely that they would actually go to my page and give me money. Whereas if I just did like a mass email, usually no one would go. Right. Yeah. And you create an accountability when you do that, you know, and um, mm-hmm. unfortunately you, you could already put them in a spot, you know, like you corner someone, <laughs> which is yeah, not but you know, style, for you know, a little bit of money, it's, it's not a whole lot. I mean, yeah. 25 bucks or even just to well, share. The other thing is just to share because here's another thing. Um, yeah. A buddy of mine, Terrence Malloy, love you. Australian screenwriter guy. He threw in 25 bucks for a pre-order, but I posted publicly on Facebook thanking him, tagged him, and a buddy of his, he knew from back in the day when he was in school, saw it, checked it out, dropped a grand. Now we got a new associate producer for a thousand bucks. So oh, that's yeah. amazing. A that simple share. To me too. Yeah, share is huge, man. So share anyone who listens difference. to this, 
yeah, we'd love you to chip in a few bucks or get a pre-order definitely because ultimately we want people to see the movie, you know? Right. Um, but if you can, just share that shit, man. Just say, this looks cool. These guys need help, you know? And yeah, the, sh- the shares are really big. And I, I, I try to share things I like, even if I don't put money into them, just because I think it's important to spread the word and try to help other filmmakers out, you know? For sure. Um, I think the yeah, big yeah. problem is the fatigue that everyone's tapped out because you get in oh these echo gosh, chambers. Well, that's the thing is like you guys are talking, almost talking to the wrong audience because exactly. if every filmmaker uh, is yeah. trying to raise money, <laughs> like I feel like, okay, so for instance, on my film, I had like 400 something people back my film. And it's like, if I had to go and then repay all 400 of those people back, like I would just lose all my money again. So it's, it's almost like if you're raising money, you're less likely to give money. And yeah, so if you're just talking to other filmmakers trying to raise money on your film it's just it's a hard audience i I also kind of ran into that with i went after the steampunk community on my film Mm -hmm. and the steampunk community they uh, a few of the like kind of user groups told me like you know what dude they're just tapped out they've just there's so many kickstarter projects for steampunk films and projects that it's just so hard to cut through right well our buddy that approached you about us being on here our buddy nate davis he's a producer yeah. in the film he actually helped us very early last year with seed money that ended up being the money we used to shoot the promo trailer oh um, what a nice dude so yeah he's awesome man he's a fucking great guy but he also i think is trying to reach out to some more political type podcasts and blogs because maybe uh, that's yeah. smart that's really what we want to tap into and i wish we had maybe done more pre-production type work on that for the crowdfund targeting people like that um, that's kind of an epiphany we came to a little later. So, yeah. word of advice to anyone crowdfunding out there: look at your crowdfund like you look at your <laughs> film, like pre-production. Yeah, do a lot of research ahead of time, and that's uh, we both Ulrich and I ran into the same problem. And so, yeah, in the end, if you don't do a bunch of research and get yourself into places where you're not just uh, asking people that are also asking for money for money, then what you end up doing is just getting your friends and family to help out. Like I would say that out of the the people that gave money to my film, at least 80% of them are, are people that I know who they are somehow, some way they're, they're not strangers. Same, same here. But the other thing about like the crowdfunding that I learned was that not only do you, did I need to do way more research and way more prep for it, but I also needed to spend way more time promoting it while it was on. And I thought I was doing a pretty good job, but I realize now, like you, I mean, I think if you really want to do a, a crowdfunding campaign, you kind of have to treat it like a full time job. Like you're just on there every day, emailing everybody, like you know, posting it, like making new videos. Like the one thing I think people that that are really successful on Kickstarter and Indiegogo do is they just make con- like lots of video updates, just talking about the project. Like this is something that we're doing. This is something that's exciting. Here's a new thing. Little fun videos, you know, because like mm-hmm. the more engagement you can offer to the audience, the more likely people are going to share and spread it out to everyone else. And I mean, I know that there's a line of like being annoying and doing it too much, but I feel like when you're doing crowdfunding, you, you can't worry about that. You just have to, you just have to push, you know, you got to push, 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 push. Cause if you don't like people aren't going to see it and it's just going to yeah, sit and I, there. I know you guys are probably shy about being on camera because just based off of how this podcast started <laughs> and look at, looking at your video, but I feel like your video is everything. Like I, it's it's okay that you guys have a trailer on here, but I think what would be even stronger is if you guys were on camera saying, this is who we are. This is our journey to this point. We're frustrated screenwriters. We just want to make something. Yeah. We, we have this idea. It's never going to get funded by studios. It's never going to get funded unless you guys help us. And you like make that plea to them. And like, yeah. it's, it, make true. it a story it's about you guys. Um, yeah, make it a story yeah. about you guys and not, not the movie because... 
the movie is already a hard sell. So I think your story is going to be more compelling. Right. And just have people like chip in to help you guys get this thing made. It's not a lot of money. And then whatever happens with the film in the end, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter as much to the people that are just like, there to help you guys out yeah because like the 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 trailer is awesome and uh i i watched it at work and i <laughs> didn't really look at the nswf <laughs> part of it and like i played it with my speakers in the editing suite i was working on and oh, then shit. you know a couple words came out and i was like holy fuck and i like literally was like <laughs> fuck and then i just paused it and luckily no one was around and i listened to it with headphones but i think like i mean there's probably a lot and this is no offense to you guys or to the to the trailer because this is obviously what the movie's about and what you want to do. But I think there's a lot of people who like watching the first 10 seconds or 30 seconds of the trailer would probably just turn it off and, 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 bur- and burn yeah. it, you know, <laughs> just yeah. like, yeah. like I never want to see it again. That's, so if they, especially if they okay. don't know who you guys are, they might think that this movie reflects your point of view rather yeah, than that's, that's one concern we have. And hopefully, you know, I mean uh, the text in the, the page and yeah, I think a video of us, actually you know saying this to people would be helpful i feel like the video is what is is what's going to get passed around and then the text is like it's for people that want to dig in deeper but you want to have like a self-contained piece that it gets put up on facebook and twitter and wherever so that way when people watch it and that's their only introduction to you they can decide in that minute of the video whether they're not going to give money whether they're going to give money or not and that click to indiegogo is to give you money you don't want to rely on them clicking on indiegogo to learn more Right. Great yeah, advice. And- That's great advice for everyone listening. I mean, we uh, kind of, it's funny, intuitively, our guts were so um, raconteurish with some of this shit. And we find that so much, so much stuff is counterintuitive that we kind of purposefully didn't do a talking heads piece we looked at it as like every <laughs> yeah, time i yeah, see one of those i'm like it. you want to make a movie fuck you like show me a movie uh-huh. that's cool right i think you have to have the teaser trailer like as a separate thing and then you have to have like the intro video as a separate thing so you gotta yeah. have both together i think because i think trying to mix them into one is a little distracting sometimes and i think it's stronger to have like like a minute and a half two minute of the, the plea and then the you know whatever one my, minute, two my minute video trailer. was kind of like a mixture of like i shot a first scene similar to how you guys did it and then i showed clips from the first scene plus behind the scenes of me shooting the first scene with kind of me like a voiceover of me telling you about the project so i was like it showed aspects of the project so it wasn't just talking heads um but it also is what i was saying like kind of just it was a self-contained video to allow people to understand why I was doing this and how they could help and, and give them the, the option at the end is like, do you want to give yes or no? Like that's really the question you, you want to answer in their mind. And if they say yes, then click on that link and just start and, and like, and donate right away. You don't want them to spend a lot of time. People just don't have time to dig into everything, especially with so many projects out there. You want to, you want to let them know what it is why you need their help and allow them to act in like a minute to two minutes. Yeah. And if it looks good, like visually, you know, if it just like looks clean, well which your movie together, does. Yeah. The movie and, and the, I'm not, I'm not just talking about the movie. I'm talking about the, the page itself. Uh, like the yeah. page looks like really nice, like, like creative, like different. It's got its own scheme to it. Like, even if people don't read all the details, just seeing it look that way is like, Oh, these guys are fucking for real. Like, okay. Totally. You know, people want to feel confident that you're going to, not only get it done, but do something that they can be proud of. Yeah. 
So um, what we need is someone to kickstart our fucking time machine so we can get in that piece of shit and go back. Yeah, you guys have time. You have time. You have and also weeks. the other can, thing I'll say. You can update and stuff. You can, do a, yeah, you can make a lot can of these update. changes if you want to. For sure. But also the other thing I'll say is like most of my money didn't come until the last few days of the campaign. We the last week. So I would say you guys have 17 days left. In the next week, you could update your video and then have like a 10 day push because really it's that it's the end of the project that motivates people right. to just be like oh, yeah. there's only 10 days left to raise this money right. there's only 8 days left to raise this yeah. money there's only 3 days left there's to only raise 5 this more money. hours like yeah you know. and just keep pushing and pushing <laughs> now the flex fund thing might dire. bite us in that aspect again but we'll see time will tell well, but we were kind of holding out to email most of our personal Rolodex in the closing you know yeah. frames of this yeah. game so that's yeah, where yeah. it's all going to happen. Is is going to be in that last week. And again, so I wanna, I'm going to put an update on Indiegogo as well to say we got this five grand coming in. But actually, the five grand I might just put into the account, even though we'll take a hit on it. But uh, yeah. again, to show that momentum, you know. I um, mean, yeah, I got absolutely. another buddy. If you're if you listen to this shit, you know who you are, old friend of mine, <laughs> who might throw in a lot of money, like by himself and his daughter, an executive producer credit. So that would wow. almost fully fund us there. And that's another tactic that I've been trying to do because uh, when we talk about Donald Trump, this movie is so about that fucking maniac that one thing I learned when I watched a few episodes of The Celebrity Apprentice once was the guys who do the best in the fundraising challenges and usually win are the people who can call up a whale or two and say, I need <laughs> yeah, you to come right? buy a hot yeah. dog for a hundred thousand fucking dollars or whatever. <laughs> right. So that's been the other prong of my approach that I think is working a little bit more, but uh, we're definitely, we're hitting whales better than trout right now, but we need some trout. <laughs> we need some salmon. We need some need gar everything. for you Wisconsinites. Yeah. Right. And you want people to see it. So yeah. everyone go check out their Indiegogo page. And, and if you feel like helping them out, whether you like the movie or not, just give them a little something. Yeah. A little something, something helps. Yeah, them even if you hate make them. a movie. Right. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, appreciate it. Well, guys. I have a lot more questions, but we don't have any more time, so we'll have to table that for now. Um, and maybe I can ask them on uh, the podcast, like you know, form or whatever, and you can answer them. But uh, but yeah, it's been a been great talking to you guys. It's really really been interesting. Thanks for being on here. Yeah, man, we could do this shit all day. So if you ever need someone again down the line, hit us up. Maybe we could do a part two. Uh, when, when you're like, you know, when there's like an article that says the Thornton brothers are signed to direct in Spider-Man six or whatever. And like, right. when, when we see that, we'll be like, okay, we got to get these guys on. I want to hear all the details. Right. You'll owe us that at that point. Yeah. Just... Fuck your NDAs. You know, you just got to tell us it doesn't matter. You know, Just look for our TV show, the Revenger in the next year. Or so that should be it. That's the one nice. we're hoping breaks through. So. Nice. I hope so too. The Revenger. It sounds awesome. Yeah, that's actually okay. something we should talk about if we do ever talk again is why TV, the transition from features to TV. So that's a whole another subject we could talk about for a while, but next nice. time. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Sweet. So can I can I steal the thunder for a second? Steal because it. This is coming up pretty soon, so I just want to let all the listeners know that uh, Spirit Machine premiere dates are tentatively in mid-September. I'm looking at, um, that's actually late September. Wednesday, September 21st in San Francisco, and Thursday, September 22nd in Los Angeles. So ooh, if you plan ooh. to come out and see the Spirit Machine, mark those dates in your calendar now, because I'm talking to theaters, and hopefully in the next episode of the podcast, I will be firming those up. But at that point, we'll only be like a few weeks away, so I want to tell people early. Nice. Is that the awesome. film that you crowdfunded? That is the Sweet. film that I crowdfunded four Congrats. years ago. 
Oh my gosh, it took wow. forever. But yeah, thank you so much. I'm I'm excited to share it with everyone. I've been talking about it for a long time. No one's seen anything because I was really trying to protect it. And now's the time. Now I'm going to find out what people really think. Man, awesome, I can't man. wait. Yeah, we'll have to check it out. Sweet. All right, Alric, take us out. All right. All right, well, hey, well, you guys, you have any last words, last things you want to say before we uh, we end the episode here? Ah, fuck it. No, we're good, I think. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) All right. Um, Well, thanks for listening. Uh, You can check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com where you can find links to the things we talked about on this episode and lots of information about the Thornton brothers and their projects and all that stuff. If you want to get in contact with us, you can send an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at MMIH Podcast. And please, if you like the show, tell a friend, spread the word, and you can uh, leave a review on iTunes if you really like the show. You don't even have to write anything. You can just like click the stars, and that'll make a big, di- big, big uh, difference for us. So thanks again, Timothy. Thank you, Thornton Brothers. This has been a Thank lot of fun. You. And also, if you want to hit up the Thornton Brothers on uh, Twitter, their handle is at themthorntons. <laughs> I there's love a that. couple of plumbers there's these fucking plumber thornton brothers uh-huh. who stole all web presents so oh really <laughs> are you guys are you guys active on twitter a little bit not, a, not like we probably should be but yeah we're around we say shit well, we're, tr- we're gonna try to shout you out a bunch on twitter when so, this yeah. episode goes live so at up. least that the week of the of september 5th like you should definitely hop on twitter and interact with our listeners and, and and interact with us. Sweet. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have fun. All right, fellas. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you again. Right. It's been yeah, fun. We'll talk soon. Thanks. All right. Bye.